0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. If you could see Christ as He really is, would the vision be beautiful or terrifying? Join us now for the message, The Mountaintop Experience. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. We are so happy to have you joining us in worship today, whether you are here in the sanctuary or you're worshiping with us at home. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. It's the typical Sunday right before the season of Lent. And normally the seasonal color for Transfiguration Sunday is white. And I had plans today to wear my white clergy shirt and my white stole, but then we've had a very busy week in the news this week. And so I decided instead to wear my blue clergy shirt and my gold stole and I'm wearing these colors uh, in the honor of the, as the colors of the Ukrainian flag in order to support them in all that they are going through. And so I know that we've just had a tough uh, week in the news this week. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on during the service. But I think it's a great day to be worshiping because I really need to have some words with God all this last week and today as well. If you could see Christ as he really is, would you find that vision to be beautiful or would you find it terrifying? We'll also be talking about that later on during our message. As usual, we'll be taking live prayer requests. So if you are worshiping at home and you have a joy or a concern or request a blessing, just post it there in the Facebook feed. Of course, if you are here in the sanctuary, we have our prayer request cards there in the back uh, as you enter the sanctuary. Next Sunday is going to be Communion Sunday. It's also be the first Sunday of Lent, but it's also going to be Communion Sunday. So if you are worshiping at home, make sure you have your bread and either your wine or grape juice ready to um, join with us in the sacrament. The March communion rail offering is going to be for UMCOR, that's the United Methodist Committee on Relief, another one of my very favorite organizations. This is the relief arm of the United Methodist Church. It always gets really high ratings from all the, the, those agencies that, that rate charities. And I might add, we already had this planned that we were going to have Umcor as our March communion rail offering, but it just so happens Umcor is in the Ukraine, got partners on the ground, and is part of um, part of the, the the quest there to get relief to the Ukrainian people. So I think it's a it's a great coincidence or serendipity that we're going to be giving to Umcor during this next month so that some of that relief can get to the Ukraine. This coming Wednesday is actually the beginning of Lent. It's gonna be Ash Wednesday. We will have uh, our service, our Ash Wednesday service here Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. We will have it on Facebook Live as we normally do our services. But I would like to just suggest, for those of you who may not have been joining us yet in person, that now, especially since uh, the CDC has now um, come out with the new guidelines about masks, that you might consider as a Lenten discipline to be with us in worship in person through the season of Lent. And that would start this coming Wednesday, where we'll do our traditional imposition of the ashes. And then the next Sunday, the first Sunday in Lent, March 6th, we'll be starting a new sermon series that I'm really excited about, You might recall two years ago when we did a sermon series for Advent, where uh, both Wesley and I did sermons um, in the first person of those who have been part of the Christmas story. And we're going to be doing this again for Lent and Easter. We wanted to do this two years ago, and then the pandemic happened. So now that we're back in our sanctuary, we're going to do the sermon series that we wanted to do two years ago, and we're calling it Easter in the First Person. And you'll be able to hear the story of Easter from the perspective of those that were part of the Easter story. Always remember that we have our connection groups, too, that meet on Sunday mornings, our UM Disciplines class and then our Lyft class. Also on March 6th, they're going to be starting their new study uh, of the book Witness at the Cross by Amy Jill Levine, one of my favorite writers and, and, and Bible scholars, and we'll also. this is also a book that tells the story uh, of Holy Week for the perspective of those who are there. The, the videos are going to be on Amplify, but I want to tell you, to remind you all, that you don't have to be part of the Lyft class to enjoy the Amplify videos. You can also go and view these videos on Amplify. And the directions to be on Amplify are in the latest issue of the Trinity Times, uh, our online newsletter. And then, of course, our other connection group was our Pastor's Bible study uh, on Wednesday evenings, 7 p.m. on Zoom. And now let us enter into a spirit of worship and prayer with our opening chorus.
1: Join me in our opening prayer. Holy God, upon the mountain you revealed our Messiah, who by his death and resurrection would fulfill both the law and the prophets. By his transfiguration, enlighten our path that we may dare to suffer with him in the service to humanity and so share in the everlasting glory of him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Please stand as you are able and join me in our responsive call to worship. Climb the mountain of God and wait. Wait for God's glory, which shines like the sun. We will climb the mountain of God and wait for the dawn. Wait to see Jesus as he truly is. Wait for Christ to reveal the heart of God. Wait to gain courage for the terror of the night. Wait for the Spirit to dispel the darkness. Wait to behold God's glory. Wait to see God shining like the sun. We may need it now as much as any other time. Our wish to you is, peace be with you. Please join in the singing of our opening hymn. You'll recognize the tune and all the words, will be on the screen. seated. Please join me in our prayer for illumination. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. We have two scripture readings this morning. The first comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus. Chapter 24. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day he called to Moses out of the cloud, Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for forty days and forty nights. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter Seventeen. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John "'and led them up a high mountain by themselves. "'And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, "'and his clothes became dazzling white. "'Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. "'Then Peter said to Jesus, "'Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. "'I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses.' And one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead.
0: This is the word of God for the people of God. A year ago, I shared with you the story about a group of people who had been born blind. They were blind since birth, and they were able to undergo a surgery that restored their sight. And their amazing story is told in a book Uh, that was written in 1959 by Marius von Zenden, and it's entitled Space and Sight. And the book describes the experiences of these formerly blind as they learn to adjust to their newfound perception. For example, most of them actually learn to distinguish the different colors relatively easily and quickly. But the hardest thing for them to learn was how to perceive a space and distance and, and perspective. Some of the formerly blind, particularly those that were younger, were able to embrace their new ability and appreciate the visual beauty of the world a little bit easier. But others were just overwhelmed by all this kind of this new cacophony of of these unfamiliar uh, sensations. And they became despondent and actually withdrawn. And many would actually purposely keep their eyes closed so from their perspective the world could make sense again. One 15-year-old boy, even though he was among the younger ones, was so distressed that he threatened to gouge his own eyes out. There was another 22-year-old woman who kept her eyes firmly closed for the first two weeks. But then she gradually began to open her eyes and explore her new sight. And the author of the book describes her reaction The more she now directed her gaze upon everything about her, the more it could be seen how an expression of gratification and astonishment overspread her features. She repeatedly exclaimed, Oh God, how beautiful. Oh God, how beautiful. I wonder if at any time during that vision of Christ's transfiguration, Peter, James, or John thought to himself, oh God, how beautiful. In our gospel text that Wesley read, we have the story of the transfiguration of Christ. We find this story in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the story, Jesus climbs a mountain and takes with him his disciples, Peter, James, and John, the three that were closest to him, his, his inner circle, and he takes them up to the mountain where they receive this dramatic spiritual vision, and they see Jesus transfigured before their eyes. His face and his clothes become blazingly white, and then they see Moses and Elijah just standing there with him. Peter then offers to make, depending on the translation that you read, either three tents or three dwellings or three booths for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. But before Peter can even finish getting the words out of his mouth, a bright cloud then suddenly descends upon them and in this loud voice cries out, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. At this point the disciples become terrified. They fall to the ground, averting their eyes to the vision before them. Like the blind who can suddenly see, the vision just becomes more than they can take in, more than they can assimilate. So they close their eyes so that the world to them can make sense again. Today, Wesley read this transfiguration story as told in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew is the Gospel that was written primarily for a Jewish audience. And so Matthew was always deliberately trying to make the connection between uh, between Jesus and the Jewish faith. And Matthew knew that his Jewish readers would recognize the scene of the transfiguration from similar scenes that the Jews would be familiar with of the life of Moses, as Wesley also read earlier for the book of Exodus. Moses also encountered God in a cloud at the top of a mountain. And later in that same book of Exodus, it describes Moses' face, not unlike Jesus' face, as, being, as shining so brightly as the result of meeting God upon the mountain, that he had to wear a veil over his face. Or we might, nowadays, he had to wear a face mask over his face. In both Matthew and Exodus, the high places are where we come into direct contact with God. The transfiguration, it happens on a mountain. Uh, Jesus' first sermon in Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount. and the temptation story in Matthew, Jesus is taken to this high mountain, where Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world. And of course, it's on a hill outside Jerusalem where Jesus faces his greatest challenge of all. As he is transfigured, Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah, who represent then the law and the prophets. Jesus had said earlier in that sermon on the mount that he had not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but he had come to complete them, to fulfill them. And in all these ways, then, Matthew has highlighted Jesus' connection to Judaism. But the Transfiguration is more than just an illustration of Jesus' ties to Judaism. In the Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John receive the gift of sight. For a short window of time, they are given the ability to see Jesus in his true reality, to see both the human and the divine simultaneously. And so here they perceive, in a way, a different kind of sermon on the mount as they get this visual manifestation of the true nature of Christ. Last September, and October, we explored the different branches, traditions, and denominations of the Christian church in our sermon series, Christianity's Family Tree. And we talked about how the Christian church consists of three major branches, And two of these branches, our own Protestantism as well as Catholicism, are two of the branches that we're most familiar with. But there's this third branch that is not as well known in the West. And this third branch of the Christian church is the Eastern Orthodox Church. And not unlike Protestantism, Eastern Orthodoxy has several sub-branches. Sometimes the most well-known of these is the Greek Orthodox Church. Uh, Two other of those sub-branches are, interestingly, the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Uh, Representing the Orthodox faith is is the predominant faith, the dominant religion in both of those countries. And for the Orthodox, the transfiguration is a central core image for discipleship. And here is an Eastern Orthodox icon, icon depicting the transfiguration. And to understand the Eastern Orthodox view of the transfiguration, we must first understand the Orthodox view of worship. Much has been written and debated over the last few decades about the use of traditional and contemporary styles of worship in the modern church. And each style has its pros and cons, and each style can either be done very well or very poorly. In very well done contemporary worship services, participants feel as if God has graciously reached down from heaven to meet them where they are. We can't make our way up to God, so God comes down to us, abides with us here in all this messiness of our life, and that is contemporary worship. In traditional worship, participants feel feel as if God has graciously reached down to us and carried us up to heaven and so meets us right here in heaven where we get a glimpse then of the divine glory and while we are in this divine glory while God has taken us up to heaven here we are convicted and comforted and strengthened for the journey of life on earth so in contemporary worship we experience God as having come down to us and so therefore in contemporary worship we use Music and other worship elements, they're a lot like things we find here on earth. Songs, for example, that sound a lot like what we hear on the radio. A message that might have a lot of everyday illustrations and analogies. And a worship space that may look very very little different from other types of gathering spaces that we find. In traditional worship, because now we experience God as having lifted us up to heaven... We use music and other worship elements that are deliberately not like the ones we find in everyday life. The music sounds nothing like the music that we hear on the radio. The words of the liturgy and the sermon use a specific biblical and uh, theological vocabulary, and the worship space doesn't look like spaces we find normally. It has things like icons and banners and stained glass. And we United Methodists, we we use both forms of worship, often blending together elements in the very same service. But in Eastern Orthodox services, as I've said in the past, in an Eastern Orthodox service, it is like traditional worship on steroids. There is elaborate liturgy and ritual, uh, usually taken from very ancient sources. The priests are dressed in very fine attire, much more elaborately than I ever dress in. The worship space is just alive with icons and art and color. And there's often an incense filling the air. And so for the Orthodox, the more otherworldly the service and the worship space appear to be, the more they feel like they are in the very presence of God. Now when the Orthodox then read the story of the Transfiguration... It is for them an image of Christian worship and discipleship. When we go up the mountain, that is, as we enter the presence of God through the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of worship and prayer and fasting and scripture reading, then we can see a glimpse of the glory of God. And for a brief time, we're transported to heaven and we can perceive just a little bit of what Christ really looks like. So for a brief time, our true sight is restored and we can see all the colors of the divine presence. We can see Christ transfigured. In the presence of God, we are made aware of our own mortality, but we're also made aware of the extravagance of God's love and grace and mercy. It is futile, though, to be like Peter and try to build some kind of dwelling where we can stay perpetually in the direct presence of God. That'll be a joy that's reserved for us for the next life. But in this life, eventually we'll need to come down from that mountain. We human beings cannot spend our entire, uh, our entire lives in worship or every moment of our lives inside the church building, though I would like to spend a lot more time in the church building now than we have been able to do in the last two years. But the thing is, we have a mission to accomplish, We are being then sent out as disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation, the transfiguration of the world. Christian life can then be seen as a series of journeys up and down the mountain, uh, leading us to witness to to the world the glory of our brush with greatness as as we encounter uh, God. We go up to the mountain through worship and prayer and through other spiritual disciplines, and there we spend this... Sacred time in the presence of God. And some of these trips up the mountain are just part of the everyday rhythm of Christian life. We have other mountaintop experiences that shape us forever. But with each trip, we're able to see Christ just a little bit more clearly. And as we witness Christ's transfiguration, we ourselves are transformed. The Greek word translated transfiguration is also the same word that is the basis of the English word metamorphosis. As we see Christ as he really is, we are changed. And as we are changed, we are able to see Christ more clearly, and we go through a cycle of metamorphosis. Earlier this week, when our state officials made a pronouncement that providing gender-affirming medical care for transgender kids was quote-unquote child abuse, I thought about the connections between the words transfiguration and transgender, because both can certainly be compared to in metamorphosis. And I'll tell you, there's not, there's not many advantages to being part of the LGBTQ community. But I do think there is one thing that LGBTQ folks have really going for us whether one identifies as gay or transgender or one of the other letters of the alphabet, you're going to have to go through the process of coming out. And if coming out is anything, it is first and foremost a spiritual experience, a profound spiritual experience, a consummate spiritual journey. Because as you come to greater and greater self-awareness, And then, greater and greater self acceptance, you become more and more open to how God is working in your life. To come out fully is a supreme act of faith because you're trusting God to hold you up when there are many, many others that want to tramp you down. But coming out is also a very hard process to go through, it's hard for adults, it's even harder for kids. And I think that trans kids who have the courage to say this is the way God created me and I'm going to tell the truth to the powers that be, I think these kids should be held up as our spiritual heroes and not denied proper medical care and threatened to be taken away from their families. As the great reformer John Calvin said, without knowledge of self there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. Now, as a Wesleyan, I disagree with Calvin's theology many, many times, but here I think he is right on target. As we see ourselves more clearly, we are changed. As we are changed, we see Christ more clearly. And as we see Christ more clearly, we are changed. A never-ending metamorphosis, a transfiguration of our very souls. As Paul writes in Second Corinthians, as we behold the glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. The good news in all this is that we, after having all these wonderful mountaintop experiences, Christ doesn't send us out into the world on our own. You know, just as sometimes we see a cat easily climb up a tree, only become too frightened to come down, sometimes we can find that ascent up the mountain goes a lot easier than our return to our everyday lives. But just as God uh, uh, just as Jesus uh, descended the mountain with Peter, uh, James, and John, then Christ goes with us out into the world, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So as we enter the season of Lent, let us go up the mountaintop to catch those glimpses of glory. Let us recommit ourselves to our Lenten discipline disciplines of worship and prayer. Let us enter into a new and richer appreciation of the cross where a different dimension of the glory of Christ is revealed. And then let us come down the mountain and tell others the story of Jesus and share with them this story of glory. I pray that we'll all be able to experience the glory of the Lord and the next time that we behold the face of Christ, we will do so with new eyes. And we'll be able to say, oh God, how beautiful. Amen.
1: Please stand as you're able and join in our hymn of response. Again, you'll recognize the tune, but all of the words will be on the screen.
0: That was beautiful. That really was. Now we come to the part of our service where we lift up our joys and concerns to the Lord. And I think we have a lot of concerns this week. Uh, I want to continue. Uh, We've been praying for the last few weeks. Uh, The the mother of one of my friends named Ann, who has been going through um, uh, some difficult times. She was found unconscious. She's in rehab now. So I want to continue to pray for Ann and my good friends Mike and Barbara as they uh, try to care for her. And so uh, for Ann and Mike and Barbara and their medical team, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We want to keep in mind also uh, that Lori Butler's mother, uh, Jeannie, passed away on Friday. We prayed for her last week, knowing that uh, her life was coming to an end. So we want to make sure and keep... Uh, Lori and Dana and the Butler family in our prayers as they deal with this loss, and we pray that they feel God's presence and God's comfort. So Lord, in your mercy. Of course, we want to be praying for Ukraine, Um, but before we get to that, I want us to continue to be praying for our church building. Every, Every Sunday I come here, I see a little bit more done. And I saw the baseboards seem to, be, um, seem to have arrived in this last week, and they do look very, very good. And I've heard a rumor that the built ins of in my office are going to get here in this next week. Strong rumor. That's a strong rumor. <laughs> and so we're praying. So let's continue to be praying that our, our building comes to its completion uh, so that uh, we can get this chapter of our church's history behind us so that we can go forward. So, Lord, in your mercy. I think Wesley was going to uh, wanted to say a little bit from the standpoint of being a public school teacher about the events in Texas this week.
1: Jane asked if I uh, had any students in my band program who would qualify as transgender, and I don't. I don't know personally how that feels. I'm I'm not that way. Um, what I do know is that I have. One student who is a transitioning male, and I have two students who are non-binary who use they, them pronouns. What I do know is that um, one of my non-binary students does not have the support of their family, has told me so. One of the privileges of my job is uh, to be a trusted adult when perhaps they don't have anyone else in their life that they can share those kinds of things with. I have had students come out to me before, which is a tremendously powerful thing to be a part of. Um, For anyone to say that the adults in the lives of these kids would be subjecting them to abuse by providing them the medical care and the attention that they need and deserve is an insult to me. Uh, I am not a member of the LGBTQ community, so again, I cannot speak to this from my own personal experience, but I do know that I go to work every day, and I try my best to make sure that all my kids, regardless of what their circumstances are, have what they need. In an effort to try to understand this better, like what, what what does this say? What did the governor say? I came across some words from a lady named Rachel Hill, who is the Government Affairs Director for an organization called Equality Texas. And she presented some facts and some figures that I thought were important. Number one, every major medical association, everyone, has made clear that affirming health care for transgender youth is medically necessary and life-saving, both physically and mentally, and the, these communications have the potential, these communications from the governor have the potential to create an intense, chilling effect in affirming trans kids across the state. Another fact neither the Attorney General nor the governor have the power to change the law. The AG opinion and the governor's letter are not legally binding documents. It is up to the courts to interpret Texas laws and the Constitution, which is something important to keep in mind. Another fact, no court in Texas or anywhere in the United States has ever found that gender-affirming care can be considered child abuse. Another fact, Texas law, not the governor, Texas law protects families from false reports of child abuse, and federal law protects Transgender students' privacy in schools, I have been told in the past that it is my responsibility to report these kinds of things, and I will not do that. This may be considered more opinion than fact, but I believe it to be valid that as we approach this week's primary elections, how much of this is political theater to score points. Um, you know me. You know that I'm not afraid to shy away from uh, controversial topics. But this one really, really got under my skin. Really, really bothered me. So when Jane asked if I had anything to say, the answer was, why,
0: yes. As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> He's never turned me down <laughs> I might add the reconciling pastors and I have been in quite a bit of conversation uh, this last week. Both teachers and pastors are given special responsibility to report abuse and I can assure you, in this church, uh, such abuse will never be reported. So I want to say then just for for the, all the kids that we that are part of the care, part of our care for the for the teachers that that have to teach them, for their parents and for their doctors who have to make decisions. Let's just pray for wisdom. So Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I think we need to be praying, of course, for Ukraine. I want to be lifting up a few specific names. Uh, Be praying for Bishop Edward Kegev. He is the bishop, the United Methodist bishop for both Ukraine and Russia. He himself is Russian, and he shared on his Facebook page this week, I'm ashamed of my country and hurt for the loss of human lives. This is a disgrace. How many corpses of war should appear in Russia and Ukraine in order for this nightmare to end? So I think Bishop Kegev is going to have to have the wisdom of Solomon to get through this as he tries to be a bishop to both of these countries. Uh, district superintendent, Oleg Strudabets, Stor- who is the district superintendent there in Ukraine, he and his wife were co-pastors of the church in Kiev until recently, and now he is district superintendent. So we want to keep Oleg and Julia Strudebets particularly in our prayers. Another pastor, one in Lviv, uh, uh, Reverend Vladimir Prokiv, Prok- Prokip, I'm not great with Ukrainian names, but God knows who I'm talking about. So keep all of these in our prayers uh, specifically. There are United Methodist churches in Ukraine and Russia. And the ones in Ukraine are going to be keeping their doors open to be able to offer whatever ministry they can to the people there, to be a place of shelter for those. And we know that those pastors in a congregation are going to have difficult Decisions to be made in the in the weeks, months, maybe even years going forward we will be posting to uh, Facebook after the service the specific advance numbers through the United Methodist Church that you can give both to their relief efforts which will be going uh, to Ukraine as well as specific advance number that supports the pastors of Ukraine and those congregations as well and those will be posted to the post Facebook after the worship service. I want to close then with this prayer that the British Methodist Church uh, printed and released this last week. Um, it is not, it's not going to be on the slides because I just got this off of um, Facebook to, or off the internet today. But as I read this prayer and as I raise my hand, I would like for you to respond. We pray to the Lord. Holy and gracious God, we pray for the people of the Ukraine and the people of Russia, for their countries and their leaders. We pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who are afraid that your everlasting arms hold them in this time of great fear. We pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who have the power over life and death, that they will choose for all people life and life in all its fullness. We pray to the Lord. We pray for those who choose war, that they will remember that you direct your people to turn swords into plowshares and to seek peace. We pray to the Lord. We pray for leaders on the world stage, that they are inspired by the wisdom and courage of Christ. We pray to the Lord. Above all, Lord, today we pray for peace in Ukraine. We pray to the Lord. We ask this in the name of your blessed Son. Lord, have mercy. Amen. The last hymn, after we pray the Lord's Prayer, the last hymn, I wanted to say just a word about. Uh, Carol Winfrey Gillette is a Presbyterian uh, pastor and hymn writer. And our closing hymn is a hymn that she wrote and posted online, The Day of the Invasion. She was also the writer of our middle hymn as well. And I often, when I'm facing times where I'm not sure what we should be saying as a church, I often will turn to her website, where she so oftentimes has written a new hymn just for the purposes that are coming forward. So I wanted to let you know that uh, before we get there.
1: Can I add to that? Sure. It's set to the tune of Finlandia, which is a piece written by a Finnish composer named Jean Sibelius. It was written at a time of great national pride, but also great national struggle for the Finns with Russia.
0: Thank you, I hadn't thought about that that connection. Thank you for adding that. Well, let us now with the confidence that we have as children of God and as the brothers of the Prince of Peace, let us pray the, the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
1: Please stand as you're able and join in our closing hymn.
0: Comment about that um, Finlandia was my favorite hymn tune of my late mother and when we were in a family trip to Finland we were stopped as a family there at the John Sebelius memorial and we had our family portrait taken there with uh, at that memorial so whenever I sing that tune I think of my mother Your action items for this week, continue to pray for Trinity, that we get our building done. Continue to pray for peace, that this war may come to a quick and swift end with both peace and justice. And also be thinking this week about what disciplines you may want to take up for the season of Lent. And then don't uh, forget to join us Ash Wednesday, 7 p.m., both here in the sanctuary and online for our Ash Wednesday service. So now receive this benediction. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Go and be agents of transfiguration. Go and be agents of peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we begin a new sermon series, Easter in the First Person. How did the events of Holy Week and Easter look like to those who were there? Come hear the whole story. You'll find recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.